Welcome to the JRNyquist.com podcast for uh, December 16th, uh, 2008. And with me to continue our discussion is Jan Lamprecht of AfricanCrisis.org. Jan, you were telling us about these um, witch doctor killings related to the trade in body parts in Africa. Yes. Let me tell you about this. In South Africa, in recent years, since about 2000, people have been noticing a increase in what they call Muti killings, and Muti is spelt M-U-T-I. Now, as I've discussed before with you, um, in witchcraft and traditional medicine, you know, as you've seen, the definition of medicine is very broad. It can be anything from from luck to killing somebody or or whatever. Anyway, um, so there's this particular type of murder that you get in Africa that they call a muti killing. And these muti killings are the killings normally of young children. And then from this comes a trade in body parts. But what I want to tell you first is, is a clue that, that, that a friend of mine gave me as to the source of these things. Because a couple of years ago, they started investigating the increase in muti killings here in South Africa. And no matter how much the police work on it, the, the muti killings just seem to increase. And it was actually a mystery. They've never really, they, now and then they catch, now and then they maybe catch somebody who was involved in it. And it's really gruesome stuff. I actually have a documentary somewhere that I still want to put on my website. Uh, when I can find it among my stack of videos. And it was, it is the only known instance of a person who survived a witchcraft killing. And, and it was an absolutely horrific tale. Jeff, it was a woman and her boyfriend were walking here in South Africa and, um, they were walking in a rural area and they were accosted by these people who held them down and they were they were cutting off parts of this woman's boyfriend while he was alive, and she witnessed it. They were cutting parts off of her, but then I can't remember how it was that um, she managed to survive, and uh, they interviewed her when she was in hospital, and it was absolutely horrific beyond belief. Hmm. But but most of the time, these, these killings occur, and nobody really gets to the bottom of them. And then a friend of mine told me of an interesting story. Uh, a friend who had lived in Zimbabwe for quite a long time said to me that she is very convinced that you, that, um, that the practice of witchcraft is also encouraged by people in high positions of power. Hmm. And as I've said to you, even Mugabe and even the South African government have tried to legalize these witch doctors. And in fact, Jeff, in fact, I kid you not, there is legislation that they have put through which will be law or is already law where somebody can go to a witch doctor and you can actually claim on your medical aid for going to a witch doctor. Hmm. So you can get reimbursed by your insurance company for seeing a witch doctor. Yes. Yes. I kid you not. Anyway, as ridiculous as this is, but anyway... um, This woman was telling me that there was an instance where some police stopped a guy's car and it was a very rich black man and they opened his, and they opened the trunk of his car and they found body parts in it. Somebody had been murdered. And 
if you look at all these people, um, these particular people I knew, they were very heavily involved in business and they, they had lots of businesses and dealt with lots of black businessmen and so forth. And they told me that they were very convinced that rich businessmen and powerful politicians, people who walk the public stage, are secret, secretly believe in witchcraft and when they feel that they're running out of luck or, or their enemies are getting too strong or something, then they go to a witch doctor and they request, you know, extra strong, uh, medicine to help their careers. Mm-hmm. And that is then when the witch doctors start getting into the really nasty stuff because the whole theory of witchcraft, if there's a theory, is, as I said to you, um, Part anything from from your body, whether it's hair or nail clippings and so forth, is deemed to have magical value. Now, of course, then depending on other body parts, there can be even greater magical value. So, as you as you saw in those uh, witchcraft pamphlets that we put up under this under the Black African Super Science uh, article, you'll see there's a lot of obsession with sex. And so, of course, a lot of these, which, and, and so, part of this witchcraft stuff is also about promiscuity and, and, and sexual ability and being male and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, when they have these mooty killings, a very common type of mooty killing is when they grab hold of a little boy, a little black boy, and they will cut his genitals off. Hmm. While he's alive, and they'll leave him for dead, and um, oh, it's that, terrible! It's it's horrific because part of the thing is you must cut the thing out while he's alive. So you can't kill him and then cut off his genitals because then it loses its magical value. Yeah. So I have even heard people say that um, it can get to the point where they will cut out your heart while you're alive sort of thing. Now, that's but very ne- similar to what was happening in the Aztec uh, religion where they were actually cutting out people's hearts while they were alive to sa- in human ritual sacrifices. <laughs> okay. So this is... I sin- don't so think this it's... Is, the- so this is, touches on something that's, that's similar. In other words, these people yes. are being sacrificed for the creation of some kind of magical power or magical... Absolutely. Purpose. Because w- what then happens is those genitals that have been cut off or whatever other body parts they cut off then go to the witch doctor who then creates now a strong potion. And I, and I was told that, you know, for that sort of killing, they probably, for that sort of killing and that sort of so-called medicine, they pay a lot of money. And that could explain why these, these, um, mooty killings never really get solved because there are people in positions of power who sort of kill off these investigations and that sort of thing. So <clears throat> there are journalists who actually went and investigated in Johannesburg whether there was a real trade in human body parts, and they did find all sorts of strange things. If you know where to go and you know who to ask, um, there is something like that going on. So it is a given that here in Southern Africa there is a trade in these bits and pieces of people. And most of these victims are black people who are... I've never heard of white people being cut up for uh, Muti. It's always... Uh, the victims are always black. Hmm. And um, 
Yeah, so it's a very ugly, it's a very ugly, evil kind of a thing, you know, when people believe in this kind of junk, really. Because well, I, I said it's junk. Superstition, <coughs> superstition that causes people to take innocent lives. Yes. Basically. And in a and in a very cruel way. Yes. Um, yeah, that's it's the a, cruelty that gets to a person, you know. Well, it's like torturing somebody to t- to cut body parts off of them. That's that's a form of torture. Yes. Um, yes. that's, that's very grim. Uh, so this, now, uh, just to give me an idea, now, when you, when Rhodesia and South Africa were under white rule, was this stuff, this stuff I assume was going on, but it wasn't going on, it, it was going on. Actually, actually, in those days, um, I know that in Rhodesia, they, their government passed a law, it was called the Suppression of Witchcraft Act. Mm-hmm. It was, this kind of stuff was regarded as illegal. Now, when the blacks come to power, now they want to legalize it. But it, and they, and they, and they try and portray it in all these terms such as, oh, you know, we blacks, we also had a science. You know, science is not just the preserve of you white people. We also have a science. It also has medical value. And they keep talking about its medicinal value. But as you can see from those pamphlets, you know, only 20% of this is about, or even 10% of this is about curing a person from an actual illness. Yeah, it's about, it's else, about talking to dead relatives or um, sexual potency. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, all the other stuff has got no relationship to any kind of real medicine or, you know, mm-hmm. in any way. I mean, so, I can accept that that, yes, there were certain cures and things that they may have had, you know, eating this this herb or that herb. But if you go around, um, most people consult witch doctors for for non-medical reasons. Well, given the more than, I mean, I'm a Scandinavian background, given the thousand years going back to when my ancestors were living in a kind of almost pre-civilized, savage, you know, uh, condition in which they, you know, uh, looted towns and drank out of human skulls and, and slaughtered people for sport. Um, I, you know, I think about how long it's taken uh, the people of Europe to emerge from the savagery and barbarism of ancient Europe. You know, you read the Iliad and you realize that 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 the ancient Greeks were all about killing. They they loved it. They glorified it. They gloried in fighting and and spilling blood. And this is the one thing that comes through in the Iliad, if you read, it's the most ancient piece of European literature. That it was, it was a very barbarian, uh, time to, to be alive. Uh, how rapidly could Africa, if it was, if it had the right ideas and the right leaders, emerge from this state of barbarism, which is apparent by some of these things you describe? You know, Jeff, I don't think it's that easy. You know, there are certain things in their culture that I think are very difficult to get rid of. <clears throat> because to them, witchcraft is as natural as, say, Christianity is to most Western people. I don't know if that's still applicable in your country, but, you know, they they grow up with this around them, and they keep... It's as if from, from the earliest times they get told these things are real, and they hear stories that seem to confirm the reality of this. It's almost like the the sort of UFO culture, you know, mm-hmm. that um, 
but in in African society. And I think that its original value was to have some sort of social control because it gave them a kind of a, a fear. There's a fear factor where they where they can use it to control people. Well, what and, about uh, the progress of Christianity among black Africans? Now, I hear from missionaries here, and I've talked to people that, that Africans throughout sub-Saharan Africa are converting to Christianity and that there's there's Christian churches and they're succeeding and they have large congregations throughout Africa. I mean, what what can you say about this aspect of it? Maybe that is a okay. long-gone phenomenon in South Africa. I mean, you've got communist leaders basically in Zimbabwe well, and South Africa. Well, believe it, believe it or not, in South Africa, I think they've said that in South Africa more than 70% of the population as a whole uh, is Christian. Mm. So... Christianity is very powerful all across Africa. Um, it's only when you get to East Africa and West Africa that where you see Muslims and so forth. Elsewhere, wherever I have lived, um, Christianity has been very strong among a lot of blacks. But I think that um, even those that are Christian, just because they're Christian doesn't necessarily mean that they don't believe in in the witchcraft stuff I don't think I um, I've not seen any evidence that Christianity just necessarily drowns out the witchcraft aspect because the witchcraft aspect is something they're brought up with they believe they believe in magic and you know when it comes to things like luck um, I mean that is where this stuff also comes in because it's like believing that you can make yourself lucky you know, whereas we might say it's random chance or we might say it's the will of God, they might say, well, you know, if I just have the right spell, I'll be lucky. Now, what about Robert <coughs> Mugabe, who said is in, 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 believes in this magic, believes in witchcraft. Now, Robert Mugabe is a Marxist. Uh, he believes in supposedly dialectical materialism and he believes in the dictatorship of the proletariat. How can someone who believes in scientific socialism, as it's so-called, embrace witchcraft. Well, remember also Robert Mugabe actually was schooled by Roman Catholic missionaries. So he's actually got strong Roman Catholic links, hmm. and yet he's a Marxist. You know, I think, I think there comes a point, Jeff, where people um, hold sort of, I don't know if paradoxical is the right word, but where people um, can hold more than one rather conflicting belief. Um, mm. It could also be, it could also be that, that Robert Mugabe um, doesn't believe as much as you think, but like Chaka, he knows its power. So he knows that it may give him power over people. So that this so, is a tool of his government to help to control people who yes. have these superstitions. It, I wouldn't say a tool of his government, but I think he has some sort of influence. And um, like I say, it's sort of, it's not a topic that's well known. And I only picked it up by through a couple of people, some of whom had military intelligence links to those days. So do you know in what way that Mugabe uses witchcraft or relies on witchcraft? <laughs> I don't know exactly. I was told that there was a certain person I need to speak to. Um, but, yeah, I haven't dug that much. 
I have sometimes wondered, the only thing that made sense to me when I heard this was maybe it plays a role in some of the personalities. You know, maybe some of the people in high-ranking people um, start believing in, in the witchcraft and fearing that and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, the main thing that keeps Robert Mugabe in power is terror. And I would imagine that, you know, which, this is where witchcraft has a lot of value. You know, if you, in, in creating a sort of psychological barrier, you know, making people scared to go against you because you may have stronger magic than they have. But it would be something along those lines. Hmm. Interesting. It's, it's a, it's a topic that people don't look into enough. And yet I tell people that, you know, we live in Africa, and it should actually almost be a primary subject of study, because I believe that in Africa, I once referred, I once referred to, to this along the lines of a nuclear bomb, because witchcraft has such magic. You see, a lot of these people are ignorant, so for them to, the difference between science and magic, to them it's all, it could all be similar stuff. Um, they they don't have that logical foundation for for telling truth from untruth. So they uh, sound just I like act- American voters. <laughs> okay, well then, what can I say? <laughs> we should you know, be selling witchcraft I in am, your country. Then. I am reminded. Well, you know, witchcraft is uh, taken taken hold here in the United States, and it has become becoming increasingly popular. There are Wiccan churches here. And the uh, United oh, States military goodness. has had to allow Wiccans to be chaplains in U.S. military to those pagans now, uh, oh, who no. are now in now in the service in the United States military service. How completely There's ridiculous! There's been newspaper articles about it. Um, as as difficult as that may be to believe, that is uh, sort of a trend because we're in sort of a. I guess anything goes, politically. In terms of religion, you know, if it's a traditional form of worship, you know, it's like, well, this is a religion that some people adhere to. I mean, it's it goes back to uh, ancient Europe, I guess, and I guess it's what okay. people uh, in primitive villages in Europe believed in the times when Europe was pagan, just okay. as uh, just as Africa was pagan just 150 years ago before missionaries started going in there. And, yes. and, uh, so it, it's, it's a different kind of thing. I mean, um, to see how mixed up things are, I mean, you, you're describing <laughs> Mugabe as this guy raises a Catholic, you know, maybe he believes in witchcraft, he's a Marxist, Leninist dictator. You know, it's, it's very interesting to see the human condition in this, you know, kind of revealed for us to see in all of its inconsistencies. Because people really aren't philosophically consistent creatures they're emotional creatures of the creatures of their upbringing they're the creatures of their environment and they're very much influenced by things that are around them and when you talk about the american public you know as versus the africans not knowing you know reality you can say <laughs> that about i mean it reminds me again of um uh, one of my, my my favorite writer perhaps uh, joseph conrad my fi- favorite um fiction writer he wrote the heart of darkness which was about yeah. a riverboat captain going up the Congo uh, trying to fetch this guy named Kurtz who had uh, who yeah. had made himself kind of a god among the natives. 
and, uh-huh. uh, and, and, a, and a murderous God, too. He had created his own okay. empire out of these primitive people uh, by dominating them and by engaging in bloody, bloody actions. And um, the famous words of Kurtz as he's being brought back out in a fever out of the Congo, the horror, the horror, were like his last words as he's dying in this fever. And the, and the clincher, okay. the clincher in this book, which was almost like precognitive on the part of, uh, on the, on the part of uh, Conrad is, why did this Kurtz go to Africa? Because he was going to get rich off of ivory and found a political party in Europe and start a movement. And when he got to Africa and he found he could manipulate, the people were ready to be manipulated right there. He didn't, why would he go back to Europe and find a political party? He'd found his paradise, his, his god-like uh, role right there in Africa. And um, and the, at the end of the story, The Heart of Darkness, Conrad, the character that is probably Conrad, goes to this European country where this guy's from and talks to the woman that was going to be married to this guy. And she said he was an artist, okay, who developed an interest in politics and went to make his fortune in Africa to come back and have a poli- be a political leader. Who does that sound like to you? Wow, okay. Adolf Hitler was an artist who oh, wow. became okay. a leader of okay. a country who was okay. became a butcher of human beings. And it was it was okay. it was an amazing um and so uh, Conrad has his famous character uh this famous seaman who he uses in the different stories tell the story uh on a on a sort of on a boat on the mouth of the Thames River as I recall and then he he sort of thinks of Julius Caesar coming up the Thames when the the Britons were all savages and how yes. how different is that from the Congo today and how really yes. different are we now how much have we changed since Julius Caesar came up the Thames um we have more sophisticated techniques but we are the same Just as these primitive people we really have the same weaknesses, the same capacity for superstition and, and, and suspension of disbelief as these people do. And we fall into the most ridiculous, you know, I work for a newspaper editor who believed, is absolutely convinced that the Americans never landed on the moon. <laughs> I kid you not. Funny. I kid you not. And, and you know what? The more you meet people, the more you find that, that almost everybody has some belief or other that is completely ridiculous. ridiculous. Well, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I've had plenty of ridiculous beliefs myself, but I at least hope that um, I learn from them and that I progress onwards. But you're right, the the kinds of things people come up with is is uh, ridiculous. I don't know if you watch much TV, um, if you ever watch the Discovery Channel or any of those. <clears throat> I do now and then. Mm. And... Um, uh, with regard to this thing of man landing on the moon, have you ever seen the show called Mythbusters? No, I never have. I never saw that. There's there's a show called Mythbusters, and these guys, um, they they do sort of they investigate any kind of myth, and they try to devise some kind of experiment to try and prove or disprove it. Mm-hmm. And uh, generally, they do quite a good thing. They actually had an episode on. Man landing on the moon, mm-hmm. and uh, they actually went to some astronomers because apparently some some piece of reflective material was um, left lying there, and they they sort of fired a laser beam at it uh, to prove that uh, there was something there, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, 
with so regard were, to people. So they were able to prove it, right? <laughs> they were able to actually yeah, come up with some good. pretty good proofs that I thought were pretty, pretty good. But about people, Jeff, uh, I'll, I'll mention a couple of things. You know, as we talk about the hypocrisy of people or the paradoxical nature of people, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a liberal Jew, and he's a good friend of mine, and we argue a lot, and um, it's actually good. We have some good sparring sessions, and uh, we've kind of rubbed off on each other. Uh, we, I take some of his points, and he takes some of my points. But I, I remarked to him the one day that, you know, when I look at, at the way um, the liberal Jews of South Africa operate, because most of them are liberal, um, they strike me as a perfect example of uh, a paradoxical people. Um, in his case, I was saying to him the one day, uh, as I got to know him better, I've known him for over 20 years, and uh, I said to him, you know, my friend, you are running around, you people are saying how you believe in everybody being the, the same and we all are one. And then at the end of the day, you Jews live like a state within a state. And I actually have a very large article that I'm still going to put out on this subject because it was very interesting. Um, I have a lot of Jewish friends, and I wanted to point out some of their survival techniques of what makes them succeed and um, how it is that they manage to live the way they do. But in there, there is a, a lot of interesting stuff because, like you say, people have a sort of emotional level. Um, even rational people uh, have a very emotional level that can be something else completely. And I agree with you that humans suffer from all the same problems today that they must have suffered from at the time of Julius Caesar, if not earlier. I doubt that humans are different in any way. I mean, we, we forget in our modern European civilization, which we take for granted, by the way, that we were living in, you know, 2000, 20, 2000 years ago plus, we were living in a savagery, you know, painting yes. ourselves blue, running naked into battle. <laughs> uh, no, not kidding, with the women tearing their hair and shrieking that the men better not come back, uh, you know, alive if they're defeated. You know, this, this, people don't realize this was a different kind of world. This was a different kind of Europe than we know now. And, yes. uh, and so we have, uh, we have moved and, and in some ways the progress we've made is also a kind of stagnation. It also represents a kind of, uh, 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 pathological development, especially when you look at Europe where we have, uh, lost our moral bearings and, and our birth rate is falling, and we're not upholding the values that created the civilization anymore. And in some yes. respects, our civilization is collapsing. And uh, and if if you know, if someone once uh, I think it was a missionary once humorously noted about how very strong the Christians in Africa were that he knew, and he was talking about Christians in not in Southern Africa, but in uh, in Kenya or Uganda or somewhere like that. And he was saying that. These people are gaining strength, social strength within those countries. And they said, wouldn't it be something if our civilization completely collapsed in barbarism? And they, having more of the old values of, of our civilization, the Christian values, were then carrying the torch of civilization for 2,000 years while we sunk back into savagery. It was kind of an interesting... Um, you know, Jeff, now you're talking about something that I sit and think about myself. I mean, I've been watching these, uh, I've been hearing about these riots in Greece. Uh, 
And it seems, and uh, somebody on my website did some research and said there may be a Marxist link to this. Mm. But also that um, somebody else remarked that uh, there's a strong, strong belief in anarchism in in Europe among the youth. And so I'm not sure whether it's a case of communists trying to piggyback onto anarchism as a way of trying to create revolution there. But anyway, the bottom line is that Europe has lost a lot of its values. And here in Africa, in, in some respects, I'm quite happy having lived through and seen what I've seen because we who have seen civilization being lost and who have seen things falling apart, I think we appreciate the values of civilization much more than the people of Europe do and perhaps even more than than the people in your country do because we know what it's like when you descend into barbarism. Mm. And barbarism is actually not as much fun as people think it is, really. When, you, when you've lived amongst it, you realize all the benefits that come from civilization, that come from a law-abiding society and that sort of thing. And I think your people, you know, when people have had it too good for too long, they start forgetting the things that got them there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes. I think it's like you and I also discussed even even uh, the leaders who created your country. You know, the men who created your country, if they lived today, they'd probably be thrown in jail because they'd be regarded as right-wing loons or something, <clears throat> probably regarded as a, a threat to society if they had to live today. I've often thought about writing a short story about George Washington being reanimated, bursting out of his tomb and running amok, trying to Uh correct the problem that he sees with the country that he he fathered here. And I thought it would be a very, very fascinating confrontation between uh, President or General Washington and uh, and the... I, I, I want to say the hamsters that run the country now, but I, I suppose that's not <laughs> fair. <laughs> but I can only no. think of them as small little animals who don't really know what they're doing. But, Jeff, I agree with you. You know, the world is run by these petty little bureaucrats, and everybody is, you know, nobody wants to come. Leadership, my friend, does not exist anymore at all, anywhere, in any place. If you go and look at any of the great leaders of history, you you will not find Julius Caesars or Napoleons anywhere on this planet in a position of power. It's almost as if anybody who's got any kind of um, real ability or real strength uh, will not make it through the system. Um, well, I'm sure they'll be... Let's continue our discussion tomorrow since we're out of time today on this subject because this is one of my favorite subjects. And uh, I, 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 do you have do you have time? Yes, let's go uh, for okay. it. We're all warmed uh, up. By okay. the way, you said okay. Okay. Well, let me uh, call a halt to this day. This is the JRNyquist.com podcast for December sixteenth, <coughs> and join us tomorrow for the December seventeenth podcast where we will finish this discussion.